You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Hey, everyone. If you are looking to tap into a cool new niche that can take your private practice to six figures or more, check out my guide, Derek Collins, at courtmandatedtraining.com. He helps licensed therapists expand their practices by working with court-mandated clients. So if you are burnt out, tired of writing notes, dealing with insurance companies, I highly recommend that you check out what Derek has to offer. He can show you how to get paid cash every day through court-mandated evaluations and classes like anger management, domestic violence, substance use, shoplifting, theft prevention, and more. This niche can be a breakthrough that you have been looking for. Go to courtmandatedtraining.com and watch the free webinar to get started. Remember, that is courtmandatedtraining.com. Hey everyone, you are listening to another episode of the All Things Private Practice Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Casal, joined today by Ken Clark. He is the owner of Chanel Family Therapy. He is also the owner and CEO of the Practice Coach at semiprivatepractice.com, LMFT. He has 21 locations between Arkansas and Texas, which is unbelievably impressive. And we are going to talk about entrepreneurial loneliness scaling, CEO mindset, and whatever else comes up today. So I appreciate you listening. And Ken, I really appreciate you making the time, but it's, you're a busy man. Uh, it's fun. Well, I, in the vein of loneliness, right? Like I love this stuff because it, it's the only time I really get to hang out with with people that uh, maybe truly get uh, what what my journey's like, even though it might be different sizes. So you you all are my people. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to hear that. And I think you're right. I mean, a lot of us are just head down working. All of a sudden the day is over and you haven't talked to anybody who isn't a client or someone that's a part of your business. And, um, you know, COVID has definitely changed things and you and I wouldn't be sitting here probably without it. And I think it's really remarkable. So can you just take us on your journey, man? It's impressive. You show up all over the place and the group practice exchange and offer so much support and you clearly have become very successful. And I think it's something that can be really inspiring for the clinician who's just leaving their agency job and doesn't know what the hell comes next. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know that that changes. Uh, I mean, we're we're 225 employees and 12 million in revenue, and I don't know what the hell comes next. Um, somebody, I, I was in one of those forums and somebody asked about what owning a group practice was like. And, and I I think my comment was that it, it, it literally feels like you won the lottery the next day and a week later you feel like you're about to go bankrupt and uh, it, it's such a roller coaster time in, in our business for sure. Um, so the, the, the quick backstory, uh, in my former life, I was a financial planner. Uh, so I've always kind of been a numbers geek and, and did that. And it turned out I hated that job. Thought I wanted to do that all growing up, hated it. Took a detour through youth work, did did some youth mentoring type stuff. Loved that, hated the paycheck. Uh, so I went back to grad school in mid-2000s and uh, nighttime school in Southern California. You know, nothing, it wasn't Harvard or anything like that. So, um, but uh, was all taught by very practical uh, adjunct professors who were all in private practice. Like my entire uh, grad school experience was taught by private practice folks. So 
was really a, a unique uh, experience in the sense that they always taught you what brought results and what brought people back and kind of had a, a, a little more practical mindset. So we were in Southern California, didn't want to uh, raise our kids in that hustle and bustle. So we looked around the country for some place to move and, and we picked uh, Arkansas, Little Rock, because it had the most number of divorces and least number of therapists in the country. So uh, in other words, if you're going to go be a marriage therapist, uh, shooting fish in a barrel, right? You're going to say something? I'm just loving the intentionality behind that. Like the recognition that that's exactly how marketing works is understanding the analysis and the clientele and what they need and filling the gap. So that's really, really impressive. Yeah. All, all along the way, I mean, I think that's something that we've had to force ourselves back to. It's so easy to throw money or energy at, at what seems like a cool vision, but if the numbers aren't there, uh, it, it becomes tough to sustain. So, so we, we moved here, uh, I chickened out on taking the licensing exam like four times, uh, finally got around to taking it, started a solo practice in a subleased room, had no aspirations of growing a practice, ended up, uh, taking on an intern, uh, when I had no idea what I was doing, I was still a brand new clinician myself. Right. But, uh, took on an intern and we, we literally shared the room. So I'd see a client, she'd see a client. Uh, and then somebody in my supervision group said, Hey, I, I'm interested in private practice. How do you do that? Can I buy you lunch? And he worked with kids and I said, why don't you just come see kids on Saturdays when I'm not there and you can pay me some rent or whatever. Well, pretty soon that's four or five people that, that were all kind of different specialties and, and, uh, that we we're all working together. And when you get that many people, they, they kind of look to a leader and, uh, that that's my wiring is to kind of create a direction. So um, we became more intentional again. I think what was accidental at first, probably like a lot of group practices are kind of accidental and uh, kept running into people who were at really lousy agency jobs and uh, burnt out and mistreated and all that stuff. So I uh, kept glomming on folks who were kind of a refugee camp for for therapists. And uh, then then it just kind of took on a life of its own. And, and then somewhere along the way, I, big moments of mentoring and getting into uh, business peer advisory and coaching that I received that uh, that absolutely changed the course of it, saved the day at times, uh, all that kind of stuff. And so now we are we're a we're four time, be a five time Inc. Five thousand company this year, fastest growing company. Uh, we're about twelve million in revenue this year, about uh, eight last year. So I mean, we exploded again this year. Two hundred and twenty five staff, hundred thousand client interactions a year, and still figuring it out. There's there's still a lot of days where I feel like I have no idea what I'm doing. Actually, nobody trains you for this stuff, so it's uh, wonderful and terrifying. Maybe make that the uh, title of this podcast episode: wonderful and terrifying. I hope I will not that... die bored. Uh, I may die early, but I won't <laughs> die bored. So I can relate to that, and I think that hopefully for anyone listening to this, thinking about. I don't feel competent or I don't know what I'm doing, or I'm just like flying by the seat of the, my pants. That's not uncommon. You know, you're listening to a major success story right now and thinking about how many clients you're helping throughout all of those interactions without, with all of these practices, supporting all of these therapists to have well paying jobs. And it sounds like you really intentionally want to treat them well. It's really not a hard sell to attract therapists and clinicians in a group practice, if you do those things right, if you pay them well, you treat them well, and you have good leadership in place. And I think that's something you seem to talk about a lot is just that culture that needs to be instilled in a practice, especially of that size. What are the things that you've like, you know, that you've noticed really work and people respond to? And maybe you can tell us about some of the mistakes along the way and some of those learning experiences too. Uh, you know, I think the 
what's interesting, what, what's humbling about being a practice coach is, is you'll run into somebody from some other opposite end of the country with, with, uh, you know, three or four clinicians and they're building something and, and they pitch you on this great idea that they have to build something different where clinicians are treated with dignity. It kind of feels like private practice, yada, yada, yada. And you're sitting there as a coach going, wait, that was, that was my idea. You know, one of the things that I think a lot of us are recognizing is, is the idea of a better place to work in our industry is, is not unique. Like there's a lot of us that are like-minded and have come up with this on our own and together. So, um, that is not what has been the, the X factor, I think for us, because I think a lot of, a lot of you listening have that vision and I applaud it. What has been hard is dealing with our, our industry is in a state of flux that, that most industries are not there. There's never been an easier time to leave Patrick or Ken's practice and go start your own practice. Um, you don't quit the Ford factory and go start your own car factory. You don't, you don't quit Trader Joe's and go start your own Trader Joe's. All you need is a therapy notes or simple practice subscription. Uh, hope you get paid on that one. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and a little bit of guts and some clients to follow you and, and you've got a viable business. So as a group practice owner, keeping your head on straight with, with what is a revolving door right now in our industry, that that's been the X factor because it's so easy to get afraid and I get afraid a lot. So easy to get afraid and reactive and punitive and cynical, uh, especially when, and, and any of you in group practice that are around for a couple of years, you'll find that when people leave, they create narratives that help them make sense of leaving. And they usually don't paint you in the best light. And you're thinking, holy cow, I lit myself on fire for this person. You know, so just, just not becoming an angry cynic, learning how to let go and let people be on their journeys and, and not take it personally has been huge. One book I would recommend that, that really changed the way I saw that is a book called Super Bosses. Uh, I think the guy's name is Finkelstein. Um, but just this idea of if you're doing a great job, your people are going to both leave to do their own thing and get recruited away. Uh, that's proof that you built a good place, not, not proof that you built a bad place. So just working through that. I mean, the, the, it's people say that work is not personal. That's the biggest lie there ever is, man. This is everything I am is wrapped around this. So when somebody tells me the coffee sucks, you know, it's hard to not register that as a failure. So. That's been, and, and I couldn't do without peer advisory, without hanging out with other practice owners, other business owners, uh, a spouse who talks me off a ledge a month, uh, all that kind of stuff. A lot of that is, is just so practical and powerful too, to think about leadership in that way. And I think I see a lot of people who feel maybe the opposite, where it feels like a lot of insecurity, a lot of feelings of abandonment and rejection, or like, how did someone not appreciate what I had to offer them? And I think you're spot on, you know, when I've started my group, I started thinking, why me? Why are people going to come work for me if they could go work for themselves? And I'm pretty intentional about asking that, but I also want to encourage and support them to eventually do their own thing if they want to do that, because I wouldn't want to operate in a different way, because I think that creates some lingering resentment on their part and maybe the desire to leave from day one if I tell them, hey, I've got a non-compete. You can't leave. These are my rules and objectives. And I just want to empower them to do good work. I believe that that feels like good leadership in a lot of ways and just being transparent and walking the walk too. But I do ask myself, you know, I have some clinicians where I'm like, why the hell are they still here? You know, a year in, they're flourishing, they're thriving, they're everything is always done correctly. But 
I just want to, you know, acknowledge that and always show that appreciation too. And you're right. We get so wrapped up in this because we spend so much time and we're so invested. And I think that can really hurt sometimes if it's like, oh, this wasn't run properly. Or like you said, the coffee sucks or, you know, something, we don't have enough two-ply toilet paper in the bathroom. And you're like, I'm trying to do everything I can to make sure that this is a viable venture. And it sounds like you have a lot of intentionality behind what you do. And I would imagine you have to, to be able to scale that much and, and to grow that big. Yeah, uh, it's it's probably part intentionality, part part stupidity, part narcissism. Like <laughs> it's uh, it's it's cluster B and a few too many, you know, blows to the head growing up or something. But um, the reality is, I think most entrepreneurs are. Uh, I mean, one of the running jokes is is we're smart enough to dream it up and and dumb enough to uh, believe you can actually pull it off, and and that that takes that mix sometimes. I think from a, you know, the point of view of, of culture and stuff like that, you talked about non-competes. We, we dispensed with non-competes years ago. I, our industry, Patrick, I, and I'm preaching to the choir. I know you know this is, um, it's, it's filled with some of the most unhealthy people and, and, uh, or, or at least people acting in unhealthy ways, I guess is maybe a fair way to say it, but, but that can happen to any of us when we get into leadership, right? Uh, that kind of absolute power corrupts. Um, and so, you know, the non-competes, the holding on to people, the scarcity mentality, uh, it, it works until it eats you alive, you know, it works until it consumes the business. Um, and so we dispensed with those years ago and and we believe that we have to live what we sell, which is uh, acceptance. And, and if people's journeys lead them out, we need to accept that. And by the way, uh, when they take their clients with them, client, clients only stay 12 sessions, 16 sessions, 20 sessions, if you're lucky. Like, what are you actually even fighting over? You know, so, so I think a lot of that, I, I, I'll tell you, as a CEO, uh, it is imperative that you continue to do your own work because we can become so unhealthy so quick. Uh, you can get so echo chambered and bitter and resentful and, and confused about why things happen. Um, can't read your own label from outside the jar, you know? I like that. I agree a hundred percent that, you know, our profession has a, a surplus of very you know, people who are struggling with their own mental health and maybe haven't worked through it. And it definitely shows up in your business and how you run it and how you approach it. And you're right, scarcity versus abundance mentality, um, having that same fearfulness of if I don't have a non-compete, if I don't let people leave in a certain way, if I want to retain the clients, like, I just think that leads to such bitterness and such self-implosion and destruction of like, I believe the client should just follow the therapist if they have rapport. And if they don't have rapport, that's okay. And you will then be able to hire a new therapist to take that spot. And maybe you've learned from those interactions along the way, instead of saying like, I'm just fearful that people are going to leave. I see the same mentality, and I'm sure you do too, around like the platforms, right? Like the better helps, the talk spaces, the Walgreens therapist now. It's like a lot of group practice owners are pretty fearful that it's going to really destroy their businesses. And I just don't see it that way because I think there's a difference in terms of how things are run and how things are operated. And if they take clients, great, but that doesn't mean there's not more people who are looking for help or in a fucking mental health pandemic. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and one of the things that we say in our practice, uh, or I say in our practice, I don't know if anybody repeats it, but um, everybody's going to leave this practice eventually, including me, you know, and it may, may be for a better job or in a box. Um, nobody's, nobody's indispensable. Uh, there, there's, there's CEOs that have run companies out there like our size longer than me. So they would, they would be better at it. Right. Um, so that this, this infinite mentality 
is is toxic, right? It, it, you, therapists leave. Maybe you won't hire another therapist. Maybe you'll go out of business. And and by the way, it'll be fine, right? Like like I, I had to come to terms with that's the only way I can operate on the high wire that I operate on is is by having a fuck it plan. Uh, if, if it all burns to shit, if they all leave at once and stick me with $50,000 a month in leases, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go be a lift operator in Snowmass, Colorado and live for happy hour, half price advertisers and and spend the rest of my life being, you know, bankrupt and having my paycheck garnished and it'll be okay. Um, and and I think if, if you can't operate with that level of acceptance at, at the downside, then all your decision becomes so reactive and survival based, you know, and, and that was a big pivot for me. It still scares me, but you know, we, we've, we've done poor as a family. We, we've done struggling. We've done, you know, and I'm a good therapist and can go sit in a room by myself again. And by the way, it's a short life, you know. Uh, one of the things we say a lot, if you ever hear me talk about, I, I do some uh, some of the keynotes I give are on like the future of the industry. Like, I, I don't think our industry will exist in 40 years in anything that resembles the way it is now. Uh, and it's not going to be the better helps of the world. It's going to be gosh darn Elon and his Neuralink. Uh, you, you'll now, you know, adjust your serotonin on your phone in 40 years. Um, so, you know, and the last guy making buggy whips thought he was a genius kind of thing. So I, we we say that you got to prepare for the death of your current model. The job of a CEO is to constantly pivot and and read the the horizon. And if it ends at some point, you know, we'll have done three, four, five hundred thousand hours of mental health. I will have employed a lot of people. We'll have launched a lot of entrepreneurs. And you know, I'll I'll be asking people at the end of the day, do you do you want whipped cream with your Sunday? You know, like it, it's all okay. It's a short life. Trying, I try to not take it too seriously. I'm not great at it all the time, but so. I'm trying to let that sink in because that I love yeah. that perspective and I operate from the same way. And I just think it's so valuable for people to hear that we can do other things. God forbid this comes crashing down and inevitably it will, right? Like this career is really hard to be sustainable long-term in a lot of ways anyway, given what we absorb and go through on a daily basis, let alone just, we have different interests. We pivot. Entrepreneurs are changing their minds a lot of the time. I even believe in clinical work of working myself out of the job constantly. So yeah. I, I start from day one, you know, knowing that I should not be dependent on the client and the client should definitely not be dependent on me for them to be able to get through the week on their own. So I just think that it's a good perspective. And you're right, like the era of psychotherapy is changing right now. I think people are embracing personality more so more often, authenticity, not, you know, being robotic and a sounding board. But at the same time, in 40 years, you're right, things are going to look very different. And we have skills that are applicable elsewhere. And I think we forget about that a lot of the time, too. And I always think I can go back to bartending if I really fucking had to. It's basically <laughs> therapy without the therapy yeah, with hip compliance. You're allowed to do yeah. it while you do it. So, I mean, there's there's plenty of options. And I like that you look at it that way. And I think that's what creates successful CEOs and leaders in general. Um, one thing I, I wanted to ask you. you're going to see the next crop of CEOs. You're going to start to see more and more people with our background and training rise through the ranks of non-mental health corporations. Um, the, the, the reality is most, uh, the businesses that don't automate completely at some point still rely on humans and, and, and humans are their biggest cost and, and their biggest profit center and people that understand how to not just lead, but connect and care for and, and be vulnerable with and, you know, all that stuff that, that, that's, that's who we want to follow. That that's, that's who will get you to make more widgets or, or march into battle. So I, I, I think therapists are the, you know, uh, for a while, if you wanted to be a CEO, you got a management degree and then an accounting degree was a big deal. 
right now, human resource, you know, CHROs, chief human resource officers are getting promoted into the CEO seat faster than ever before. Well, that, that, that bodes really well. You know, uh, my son's in college, the, the college he's going to has a, uh, a JD MSW program. You can become a lawyer and a social worker at the same time, you know, and, I, and he wants to be a lawyer. I'm like, dude, you go do that. You, you can probably work in management at just about any company. Like that's a powerful combination, understanding the letter of the law and the complexity of humans, you know? So what program is that? Just out of curiosity. Uh, yeah, it's at the University of Arkansas, Whoopig. Um, uh, but yeah, they've got it. And, and it, I brought it up to other people and they're like, yeah, our law school just added that or whatever. But yeah, JD MSW, it's like a, you add one extra year and in a whole, I mean, that, that's who should run a company like mine, not me. <laughs> I think that's such a good point, you know, and also, you know, I was having this exact same conversation with um, Dr. Ajeta Robinson the other day on the podcast of like, that's where the future of mental health is going. And if you can realize the strengths and the skill sets and the assets that you have without thinking about working within the one-on-one -on -one therapy world, right? There are so many things that people can do and people can accomplish if they can really understand how those skills are useful in all areas of life. And I think we just lose sight of that so often because a lot of us can't see the forest for the trees. You know, we leave our agency jobs, we go into private practice, we're fearful, we're insecure, we're anxious. Maybe we become successful, open a group, maybe we become a coach. And I think the possibilities don't start to become possibilities until you have more clarity and more understanding. And like you said, surrounding yourself with mentorship and colleagues who are doing similar things, who can build you up and offer that perspective. Mm -hmm. Because if we exist in an echo chamber, we don't really grow. No, that's, that's completely right. There's a bunch of, uh, well, I'm, I'm in a, a peer, I always call it, call it, uh, my peers call it business therapy because none of them are therapists, but it's a peer advisory group called Vistage. It, it's similar to YPO or some of these things. One day a month for eight hours. And we basically sit in a circle and, and, uh, chew on each other's problems. Uh, and more importantly, the person at the center of the problem, uh, and you, you, you get to do all kinds of great hear great speakers in there. And, and somebody recently in there was talking about that, like one of the number one statistical traits that they find in, in, uh, fortune 500 CEOs that, that are making a difference in their companies is the amount that they read on a daily basis, right? And it points back to perpetual learners, people who don't exist in the echo chamber, people who are obsessed with their blind spots and, and want to know what they're missing. Um, they, it's not that they don't fail. It's that they're able to harness failure, learn from it, apply stuff and, and pivot far more than people who, who just want to dig their heels in and believe the world is flat. You know, so, and there are a lot of those people. <laughs> and again, Surprising. it's why podcasts like yours and, and I, I run a weekly support group for owners, like all these things are, are they're, they're crucial. You can't do this by yourself. That's, that's a, a dumb westernized notion, you know? So it, it really is. And so many of us have this paralyzing perfectionism or I have to do it alone mentality because that shows weakness. I can't fail. It's. I think failure is so humbling and so necessary and important. And I can't think of anything I've ever tried where I've leapt and not made a mistake, not failed at one time. But then you're right. Learning, blind spot recognition, just really making sure that you approach it with a different mentality the next go around. And I want to normalize fear and failure in the world of being an entrepreneur because it's fucking scary. I don't go through a day of being a practice coach or a group practice owner where I don't have some anxiety or fearfulness because we're constantly being, you know, put in the light. And I think that creates a lot of insecurity for people, that visibility. Well, and, and the, I think it's, it's really 
crucial to say that, you know, when, when you got somebody with 10 or 12 therapists or 200, what, what, what I think happens, I, I, I get these folks all the time as coaching clients and, and, uh, work hard to, to, you know, remove this notion, but the answer is I want to grow so I can stop being afraid, you know? If I, and my wife, my wife gives me a lot of shit. Uh, uh, she, she remembers moments where I say, if we could just get to 150 clients a week, then we'll be good. You know, and now we're, we're 2,300 or something a week. And she's like, when, when did it stop? You know, but in my mind, if we got to 150 weeks and there'd be enough money running through the business and I could see a few less clients and then I wouldn't be afraid. You know, there, there was this point where, uh, she, or I thought if, if we could just get over this hump, then, then there'll be no fear. And I see practice owners all the time that, that they attempt to scale because they, they think there's going to be safety on the other side of it. And all it is, is, is a higher tightrope. You know, more money moving around, you know, when you're, when your payroll is 250, $350,000 every two weeks, uh, it, it, it's exponentially scary compared to, you know, 20 grand or something. So that belief that somehow scaling will, will uh, lower the fear actually propels people into scarier situations. And if we could just normalize, like you're always going to be afraid. We're all, and I, all not wanting to be wounded. We're all not wanting to be humiliated. Then, then maybe we wouldn't grow just for sake of growing. Absolutely. And how many people listening or that you know of that are quote unquote successful took the leap anyway? We're scared. They pushed through it. I like the analogy of don't let fear be a, a break, but let it be a gas pedal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're right. I mean, the more you grow, the more open you are to being vulnerable and that creates some insecurity. I mean, it allows to have a little bit more liability too. I also see a lot of group practice owners Two, this is a two-part thing because I was actually talking with one of my coaching clients about you the other day with the comment of like, do you go from eight therapists? Because when you get past eight, what's the next level, right? Like, where does it stop? And I think that very much for myself where I'm like, okay, I started with one, five was the goal. Now it's 12. When do we stop? Like, when's the growth, you know, uh, come to an end? But I also see a lot of group practice owners who come to me for coaching who want to st start group practices. They're very successful private practice owners. I ask them why they want to start a group practice. And a lot of the time it's like, I just have so many client referrals coming in. I want to refer in instead of out. And I say, do you want to be a boss? Do you want to be a leader? What are some of your values? What's the culture going to look like? And a lot of them are like, no, I don't want to do any of that. And I always advise, well, maybe it's worth pivoting into coaching or some other side venture that doesn't involve uh, managing and, and supporting other individuals who are doing this work within your business. So I want to know your thoughts on that, if you don't mind. Well, yeah, one, uh, there, there's some pretty famous statistics out there. You can find them, I think, in uh, it's a book called Scaling Up. That That is a good book on all industries. But, you know, the stats is, are somewhere around eight to 10 people under you becomes unmanageable. Like you can't do your job and properly mentor and, and uh, provide accountability to those people. So, you know, there's, there's a, a pinch point that I see in most practices, somewhere around 20 people where you now have to hire uh, admin, more admin. Uh, then, then you've got revenue coming in at that point to be able to manage the next level of growth. And so that's where I see a lot of people is they've gotten themselves into this like 20, 25 clinician practice and it's now panic mode. Um, a couple thoughts there. Um, one, uh, it, the, the need is never ending and, and it will, it will, the altruists and all of us will, uh, die trying to meet the need if we're not careful, you, you just cannot meet the need. And 
that's kind of one of those, like, don't, don't sell, set yourself on fire to, to keep other people warm. Like somewhere in there, you got to do it. I really encourage people to Google and spend some right uh, time thinking about right sizing, you know, like in the end, what's the workable number for your family and, and aim for that first, maybe add enough to, uh, your, your bottom line to be able to hire a replacement if you, if you fell down the stairs. Um, but then when you're there, then decide if what's the merit to your point, Patrick, of growing more, do I really want to do this? And there's a lot of other ways to support, you know, like you, you go help other people be business owners instead of taking it all on yourself. The problem, I mean, the problem is I think a lot of us that are entrepreneurs have some level of trauma in our, our past that make us uniquely prone to this. Like I, there's, I'm one of them, you know, there's just a lot of bullied kids that uh, entrepreneurship was the first thing that we were really good at and the best feedback loop that we found. And, uh, I, I got way more friends now than I ever did in high school or middle school. Um, but, uh, with one, with one catch, right. I got to keep making sure they got a great job. So, so there, there's some ego and stuff and not, and not in a bad way, but an attachment way that gets wrapped around this and, and all that really needs to be in check before you grow or, or under uh, the microscope. There, there's two or three points where we grew, where I should have stopped. There's no doubt I should have stopped. And, and it was the rescuer in me that, that is carrying wounds from my own childhood that, that carried me past a point of sanity into growth again. And, and, uh, you know, I, we pulled it off so far, but I, I, I wouldn't recommend it, you know? So I, I think that there's a lot of merit to what you're saying. Um, I think, uh, one of the things I recommend is the thing that launched me into coaching was something I got to share on Maureen's, uh, one of her calls way back when on the group practice exchanges, you need to know your exit from day one, like whether it's one or eight or 200, like how do you get off Mount Everest, right? Like most of the bodies on Mount Everest are, are facing downhill, right? They were trying to get off the stinking mount. And, and as a practice owner, you always need to be thinking about your exit, um, whether it's one or, or 10 or a hundred clients, they're, they're clinicians. So, so keep all that stuff in mind, get lots of consultation, talk to lots of people who have done it to make sure you want to do it. Um, it. It's not all that it's cracked up to be. And yet for those of us that have pulled it off, we probably wouldn't pick anything else either, but, but it ain't easy. So well said. I hope everyone can soak that in and hear that and really, really take it in and think about it. There are many days where I think to myself, what the fuck am I doing? Mm -hmm. But I agree with you that I probably wouldn't want things to be going any other way. And I'm just that type of person, like working towards the next thing obsessively. And it's hard to take it in sometimes. I think that's my own attachment shit, you know, and um, working very hard through that, doing some IFS work. That's been super helpful. <laughs> Um, uh, but yeah, back in, back in my clubhouse days, you know, there, there was, I don't know if you, any of you got on clubhouse at the front end of the pandemic, I went through like a three month stretch on, on clubhouse, that social media app where I didn't sleep at night, but it's, it's, it's like live chat. Any of the kids of the eighties, we, we remember like chat lines. It's like a chat line. So you get in these business rooms. Well, I was in there with, uh, listening to this one guy speak and, and a very successful guy. And he said, you know, the reality is if you have 50 good days a year as an entrepreneur, you'll be a millionaire. Um, and, and, and that's an attractive thing until you think about the math on that. Cause that means about 300 really shitty days. <laughs> and, and I'm not sure that's not inaccurate, right? Like far more days than not, I wake up anxious, you know, uh, you, you get an hour like this once in a while where you get to toot your own horn or whatever, but it's a hard gig, you know, uh, it can cost you a marriage. It can, it can lead you to maladaptive coping mechanisms, you know? I've, I've got entrepreneurial weight and probably an entrepreneurial liver. So, uh, you know, are you sure you really want to do it? Yeah. 
I think that's that's perfectly said. I think that I wake up so many times now with so many different people messaging me and responsibility. <laughs> you know, I start my day and I'm like, oh shit, I've got to start my day not looking at my phone for a half an hour. You know, like messages from my group practice, coaching clients, my VA. And I'm like, all right, I got to take a break. Got to go walk the dogs, which is not relaxing either. It's just a different type of de-stressing. <laughs> but yeah, this is great information. And for everyone listening, I hope this was helpful because Ken brings a very unique perspective. And if you're trying to grow, if you're trying to scale, if you want to become a CEO or leader, try really hard to embrace what Ken is saying because it's so invaluable right now. And I think it's really well said. And obviously the success and the results speak for themselves. Um, Ken, I really do appreciate you making the time. And yeah, just tell the audience like where they can find more of Ken, coaching, uh, group practice, anything you've got going on. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're anywhere in Arkansas and Texas, we, we'd always love to talk about working with you if you're looking for a fun place to work. But uh, for anybody else, I, I run two calls a week. Uh, it, it's kind of like paid therapy for me, but we do a Zoom call on Thursdays for group practice owners and one for solo practice owners that is uh, commiseration, collaboration. Uh, here's what's working in my practice. It's topical. So uh, you can find that and a bunch of other uh, kind of self-study stuff on our practice coaching website, which is semiprivatepractice.com or uh, find us on Facebook. We've got the uh, semi-private practice uh, Facebook group and the No Surprises Act Facebook group, which is my uh, runaway surprise hit, 16,000 members in uh, three weeks, uh, four weeks. So there you go. But yeah, come come hang out. We'd love the company. Yeah, I appreciate you starting that No Surprise group. And God, what a shit show that two weeks was for everybody in the therapist community. And now it's like, yeah, it still exists, but it doesn't exist, right? It's like, we're still worrying about it. We're still dealing with it, but it's not on the forefront anymore for a lot of us. So thank you for being one of those people who was supporting a lot of those anxious questions and just a lot of uncertainty. Um, yeah, we're, we're, I mean, it's funny. We're, we went from a, a thousand members a day joining the 50. So we're at the end of the month, it'll pivot and it'll become a compliance uh, broad compliance one for therapists, HIPAA, ADA, all that kind of stuff. So come hang out. And then uh, our, our motto is no lawsuits, no jumpsuits. So uh, come uh, brainstorm on how to not go to court or jail. So I might use that as the podcast episode. You've given me so many good lines now. <laughs> yeah, Ken, I appreciate you coming on. And for everyone listening to the All Things Private Practice podcast, you can find more information at allthingspractice.com, the All Things Private Practice Facebook group, if you want individual or group coaching for starting your business or growing your business, every episode comes out on a Monday, releasing new episodes every week, having really real conversations with different people in the industry who are doing really great things outside the box. We will see you next week. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.